Welcome to this episode of The Connection Podcast, where we interview our mission president, President Cornelius, and his wife, Sister Cornelius. And guys, I want to ask you a favor. You with me? If you have youth or you know youth that are considering serving a mission, or maybe even not considering serving a mission yet, can you share this with them? This is going to be, I think, such a powerful episode for a lot of people because we get into the amazing blessings of serving a mission, how it's okay to enter the mission field still being imperfect, and how the Savior makes up for the rest. We get into a variety of other cool topics, including President Cornelius's conversion story. Uh, we talk about whether they're true Idahoans or not. And we even discuss something that's very important, which is maintaining a strong relationship and bond as a couple as you serve in time demanding callings. I think everyone's going to love it. Thanks for tuning in. All right. Welcome to the Connection Podcast. We have two very special guests with us today. We have President Cornelius and his wife, Sister Cornelius. Welcome. Oh, thank you. Thanks. Oh, we're so, so glad to have you guys on. And thank you so much. I understand you guys made the trek over from Grants Pass today. We did, and we were delighted to see the rain to calm the smoke down. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you so much for taking the time. I know a lot of people are looking forward to this episode, so I appreciate you being here. We have a lot of guest hosts on the show today as well. We have Chuck Tassoli coming back after a little hiatus. Welcome, Chuck. Hey. All right. And then we have, for the first time ever, first time ever, I believe, right, E.B. Woodward? Hello. All right. And then we have Corinne Bell coming back as well. Hello. All right. So we, we talked a little bit before the show today about how we do our intro. And generally, we start with a hypothetical scenario in which you're going into a new ward and you probably done this several times before, your bishop calls you to speak and they want you to introduce yourself and your family and go. Well, we come from Rexburg, Idaho, home of BYU-Idaho, and we are the parents of five sons. They're all married, so we, ha we are lucky to have five daughters join our family. We have nine grandchildren that all live in Rexburg, Idaho. Um, what? Placed us there was Sister Cornelius's father began in, in the tire space 60 years ago this last year. I came to Rexburg, Idaho to ask a former missionary companion uh, about some advice about dating or finding the right girl. And I got set up with Sister Cornelius on a blind date and started working for her father a few months later while I went to Rick's College. So that got us started in the tire space. And later on, I purchased a business from the family with her youngest brother. And so that's what's placed us there in that community for the last 34 years this December. Wow. That's great. That's awesome. I wanted to ask you a few questions. I, I talked with our elders, and actually, Corinne, you talked with the sisters in your ward as well. So they, they gave us a lot of fodder for questions, and I'll, I'll try to stick to the, the best ones here, but they had a lot. They wanted me to talk with you more about just your upbringing. Well, I, when people ask me where I'm from, I say confusion. <laughs> and I get this puzzled look because no one can figure out where that's at. My father started out when I was born. He was in the construction space, road construction. And then he segued into the federal government, into a department, worked himself all the way up to the national level. He had his, his office was on the mall in Washington, D.C., and then worked himself all the way down to an assistant county supervisor before he retired. 
And so I'd lived 13 places before I graduated from high school. And I graduated rather young at 17 years of age, at which time I left home two weeks after graduation and went into the logging industry. That last move that my family made to a remote Montana town took me into a very, very small church unit. And the church, the bishop being protective of the unit told all the youth to stay away from me because I was a big city kid with big city ideas. <laughs> and bless the youth, they did exactly what the bishop asked them to do. The problem was, is my whole upbringing, living in Washington, D.C., Wyoming, Montana, Idaho, several places, the church had always been my sanctuary where I could go on Sundays, I knew I had friends. And back in our time, when I was raised, if you were the new kid on, on the block in school, you were generally the one that got hazed, picked on. I graduated from high school about five foot eight and 120 pounds. I was not large in stature. So I, I was subjected to a lot of harassment. To come to a community new once again at 16, 15 years of age, and then all of a sudden have my safe haven taken away from me, I wasn't happy about that. So I soon found myself, we were on a ranch, which was had been in the family since 1916. I found myself on the ranch. I'd go out in the morning on Sunday mornings to change pipe, feed the calves, whatever the chore was, and I would stall until I saw the billows of uh, dust from my parents' car going to church. And then I would come into the house. So about 15-ish, I, I, I fell away from the church. I fell less engaged. As I left home at 17 into the logging space, I came back a year or so later. In the logging space where we were from, you would log from uh, generally about whenever the snow let up that would allow you into the timber. And then you would not stop till it stopped you from moving. And so that could be anywhere from September to December. Well, one year I had a two to three month break and I went home to uh, the place where we were at. The bishop had asked me some questions and told me it was time. I was of the age that I could become an elder in the church. And so I went and talked to him and you cannot be uh, less engaged in the church and not uh, fill up a suitcase full of things that don't need to be taken care of with your bishop. And uh, as I went and opened that suitcase up to him and then found myself leaving the community uh, a few weeks later, I think his gestures were innocent or loose lips sink ships. I'm not sure what happened there, but he went to town and shared what I'd shared with him confidentially to many members of the community. And so once again, I was brokenhearted. And I remember calling my father at the time, who was an elders corn president, and I said, uh, please, whatever you do, don't, don't talk to me about the church again. And that was probably about 18 and a half. Well, fast forward, almost 21 years of age, I was two weeks from getting married. The young lady I was going to marry was a wonderful woman I had met at Rick's College. She was so wonderful that when I was in her presence on a Sunday, I would not dare not go to church with her. So I did. But I went through the motions. 
and two weeks prior to our marriage, the wedding invitations on the table. We just purchased a house on Friday, uh, wedding dress, wedding ring, you name it. It was, it was game on. A bishop that out of the Great Falls area felt inspired two weeks earlier to pull us in and extend the invitation. In fact, his exact words were, Chris, I do not recall whether it was a revelatory or inspiration. I could not decipher which, but I was told to return back home and call you, and her name was Janice, on a mission. And he did so, and the Holy Ghost was so powerful that in the scriptures it says, it says that they feared God. Well, if you've never experienced that, I did then. And uh, I just, the bishop said, you're hereby called to serve a mission. Nobody in my family in their youth had ever served a mission. And we were three generations members of the church. My father hadn't. Nobody in my direct family had. And so here I found myself in this conundrum going, what do I do? I remember that day I told the bishop, I said, uh, we will go but you've got 24 hours to get my papers in the mail. <laughs> now think about this. 24 hours. How many, how many bishops do you know that can get the papers in the mail within 24 hours? Well, this dear bishop, it was about 7, 8 o'clock in, in the evening. The next morning he showed up at 7 o'clock and handed me my papers and said, I'll be back in two hours. Came back and he said, here's the appointment for your dentist. And a half hour later, here's the appointment for your doctor, and I'll meet you at the church at noon. And when I got out of his office about, tw I mean, it wasn't a long interview because we both sat in there and wept. Fifteen minutes later, he said, the state president's waiting on the other side. Well, that day before was Sunday. It was state conference, and I'd had a strong feeling that they were going to ask me to speak in state conference. And I was thankful that they didn't because I was terrified of public speaking just terrified. And when I went in the state president's office, he said, oh, it's wonderful to meet you, Chris. He says, you know, you were supposed to speak in state conference yesterday. <laughs> he says, and just as I went to say your name, the Lord told me to leave you alone because things were being dealt with. He says, we now know what that meant. And so we both wept. And so I, I don't even remember if hardly any questions were given. And the papers were sent off. So that's what landed me in the mission field at 20, almost 21. No, it just makes me, yeah, I was actually thinking, I, I remember President Ogan's episode uh, back in last season and similar story of somebody maybe, you know, unintentionally, but sharing, you know, information that was confidential. And it, that's so hard to come back from. And just cool to see that you came out the other side of that the way you did. The other thing that I was just thinking of is the conference, the state conference we just had with Elder Gong and with Bishop Kosei and how both of them taught us that we ought to, as leaders, extend inspired invitations to the youth. And I, I just feel when I hear that story, how can you get much more inspired than that invitation? Now, that took bravery. It, it it took guts. It was not, it was probably his third time. The first time he asked, I sensed he was doing it out of duty. I said, well, thanks. Politely declined. 
and said, okay, you've done your job, leave me alone. The second time he did it, I said, uh, you're kind of thick, uh, <laughs> which is not what you should say to a bishop. But you got to remember, I was, I was a fairly hard man. I uh, probably at that juncture had only been to church eight times in the last five years. And I said, just leave it alone. So by the third time, you can imagine the intrepidation he had. But he, I remember him telling me, he said, Chris, I want you to know I fear God more than I fear you. And if he asked me to come and tell you something, I'm going to tell you. I think it shows something about you, though. So let me make sure I'm correct, though. He wasn't your bishop. He was in, or, well, or just a bishop in the air. Yeah, he no, he was. So my fiance's family had moved to Great Falls, and so yeah, he was my bishop. Oh, okay. So I, the only place I went to church was with her. Oh, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, but I love that he did what he was supposed to do, but so did you, like. It, you, you said, all right, well, let's do this. It's got to be done in 24 hours, though. You didn't say, you didn't back away that third time. You're like, yeah, okay, let's do this. If I'm supposed to do this, it'll happen in the next 24 hours, you know? And I think that takes a big leap of faith to be like, all right, you asked me, but this is what's got to happen, you know? Well, I think it's a prime example for uh, the power and the influence of our young women. You think about back then, she was 21, and you know, we're 37 years ago. That was an old maid. You know, now they <laughs> laugh about that. Mm -hmm. But that was, you know, if you weren't married by then, people would say, well, what's wrong? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> here she is. She's got her wedding dress, wedding ring, temple, uh, home, some furniture. It's all set up. And I remember I've reflected on this quite often. I said, if from the point of that call going off or, or, or the papers leaving until I arrived in the MTC, if she just said once, please don't go, I wouldn't have went. And I can't, I can't fathom the amount of courage and strength that took on her part. You know, even though uh, Sister Cornelius was, was not that woman, I have a profound respect for women who, who love God, who uh, do hard things. And there's many that do. I've got a question. So, all right. So you got basically knocked down twice by two previous bishops, or is it just, or is it this, no, it's two, two, two different bishops. Yeah, two different bishops. And and then, you, like you said, you were you know going with this young woman to church through the motions. But before that, and after the second bishop, what kept you like just still wanting to hang on? Well, I. I guess I could say that that was the reason for my abruptness with this new bishop is because I frankly didn't care. But I knew if I didn't go to church with her that she'd tell me to hit the road. So I was truly going through the motions. But the interesting thing in, in, in retrospect that I, I don't share often and I probably should share more was is every morning when I, I was a tail line skitter operator, every morning when I got on that machine, I prayed. It's a dangerous career. We were on some oh, yeah. steep mountainsides. It's laborious. I still prayed to God. I still asked for protection. I was still searching. I wanted to believe, but everything up to that point had said, this isn't the right place because of my feelings kept getting hurt. 
Uh, the interesting thing is, is prior to this bishop's interaction, I thought, you know, I probably ought to start saying my prayers. And I remember every time I went to kneel down to say my prayers, I got this strong impression I needed to serve a mission. And so it made me mad. So I thought, mm -hmm. I'll just quit saying prayers. <laughs> <laughs> and then when, once I'm married. solution. Yeah. Well, it's, it's shallow, but that's where I was at. And I thought, you know, once I'm married, you know, you can't tell me that. And so it was the line up between that. The other thing that had taken place two weeks prior to that bishop saying that is I'd found out, and it was a couple years later, I'd found out that my mother and my father had asked all family members and extended family members to join them in a fast on my behalf. So there were several things that lined up after the fact that I didn't know were taking place as this event was taking place. As a follow-up question, just wanted to know where you ended up serving your mission and then how you two ended up meeting. I'll tell them where we served, and I'll allow you. I like it. To, how, to yeah. tell the story, Sister Cornelius, of how we met, okay? Okay. Because she doesn't like my version. <laughs> well, this is one of the rare cases, so usually we'll have one person on, and then we hear from the spouse, they didn't tell it right. <laughs> so uh, we have a unique opportunity here to have both of you present. So. Well, at that time, the, the young lady I was engaged to, she wanted to go to Australia, and I wanted to go to the New England states. I was terrified of getting on a plane long distance. I didn't want to go anywhere foreign. And our family, when I when we'd lived in D.C., vacationed in the New England states. It, it, they're beautiful. And that's where I wanted to serve. Well, when we got our mission calls, I was called to Australia, and she was called to the New England states. <laughs> <laughs> so don't tell me the Lord doesn't have a sense of humor. But once I got there, I realized that uh, that they needed to stick me on an island that I couldn't get public transportation back on. <laughs> I couldn't leave, so I was stuck there. But uh, I'll let Sister Cornelius tell the story of how we met. So um, while serving in Australia, there was a young man from our home stake in Rexburg, Idaho, that my dad had set apart as a missionary and released him as a missionary. And he came home one night and said, I would love it if one of my daughters would mate, date him. And so my younger sister, she took it upon herself, and <laughs> she had just graduated from high school and said, I'll date him. But him and him and Chris, or him and the president, were, mission, well, not mi quite mission companions. They were, well, he was probably his zone leader, right? <clears throat> he was my zone leader, and I was a district leader, and we did a lot of exchanges together. Because so. it worked better that way. He wanted to kill his companion, probably. <laughs> <laughs> so he, uh, they enjoyed each other's company, and so when they returned home from their missions, they had just stayed close, in close contact with each other. He's the one that he went up to talk to him in Rexburg and visit with him. My mission president had strongly encouraged me prior to my return home to make a list of qualities that the young woman should possess to be the mother of my children and my companion for the eternities. He asked me to focus on my weaknesses. His uh, subnote was, he just said, don't put anything down about physical. Put everything down about traits 
characteristics, strong points. He said, focus on your weaknesses. So I had a list of about seven or eight. And he said, when you get home, do not deviate. I was looking for her. And I'd already struck out two or three times. And I was getting a little discouraged. I was wondering if she was out there. So go ahead, Bob. My sister came to me and said, hey, will you go on a date with out with Jason's mission companion? And I said, oh, yeah, but I have a wedding reception, a family wedding reception. I'm going to. And she's like, okay, that's fine. We'll go to the movie, and then we'll come back and get you. And I'm like, okay, that's great. But as he says, nobody told him about it. So he got to go to the movie with the three of them. <laughs> or the three of them went to the movie, I guess, together. And you all know what that's like, right? <laughs> yep. yep, been there. Yep. <laughs> yep. So they came, we came back and we played games at the house, and they had their own set of rules for every card game we played. So we were getting killed and cheated in the card game, and <laughs> we still didn't win. So cheating doesn't pay off. <laughs> <laughs> in the well, card game it and was ten thousand to five. So, <laughs> so we we went out the next night and then we went out for the next fourteen days and then he returned to Australia to do some um I worked for the Franklin uh day planners, time management. I was down there for eight months. So traveling Australia and New Zealand and doing sales management training, so a lot of professional speaking. And Sister Cornelius and I were corresponding over the phone and through letters. And back then, it would cost you $2 a minute to talk. <laughs> so it was expensive. So him and Jason came home, and Jason married my sister. And seven days later, we were married. So oh. it's great. We've had a great time. Our kids are all the same age. and. It's been really fun. Do they live in Rexburg? Yep, they live in Rexburg. Yeah, they they didn't live in Rexburg when they were younger, but they do now. So, So do they have any plans to come see you and Eugene? Well, we have two that have come. Our two youngest sons have come, and one of them has a little baby. So, yeah, he seems to show up on transfer day. (laughs) (laughs) Our other three sons are the ones that have purchased our business, our the majority share of our business now. And so nine months out of the year, it's game time. And so I imagine when it slows down, which is generally December, so January, February, March, we'll probably see them. But up till then, they have to keep their hands on the the business. And I'm asking you a question that we could spend three podcast episodes on, (laughs) but tell us about what you're doing now. Obviously, you're serving as mission president, but how long you've been here, how things are going. And then we'll go around the room, and, and we got a bunch of questions for you, too. We came on June 28th to a mission presence always changed out by July. Well, they always say July 1, but as soon as you finish the MTC, the Mission Leadership Conference, they'd like you to head to the mission. And so we had promised the weeks we'd come as soon as that was over. Can I ask how long your training is before you come five, out? You about five days. Well, but it's it's really like um, it's all with the Quorum of the Twelve and yeah. the First Presidency. So you kind of feel like you're drinking from a fire hose for five days. Exactly. I mean, just so much information in five days. But they they start sending you. There's several training modules. So January one, you get just an 
once you're called, you get an in-depth amount of information that you have. You need to study and start becoming familiar with. You also have mentors that you, that are uh, linked up with you. That it's a former mission president and wife, and we meet met with them at least once a month. We also met with President and Sister Weeks every month, and so we had both of those things going on. And we, so, yeah, we never with the weeks. Um, we never discussed any of the missionaries. You don't discuss any of the missionaries that are in the field or, you know, just like, do you have any questions about the home or the mission or how, you know, big it is or do you can they answer? House, you know, community, all those things where you're trying to plan what you're bringing, what you're going to be up against. As much as possible, just like a new bishop, you, they give you the keys and give you the information on maybe one or two individuals that are, are still rolling. Mm-hmm. And then it's a fresh start for everybody, which is amazing. It's a wonderful process. Great. Well, I, I wanted to start going on around the room here. I'm going to start with Evie because you had some great questions oh, okay. uh, for both of them. So I guess I'm going to start out. I feel like when the Lord calls us, he calls us for one because he wants us to learn something. And, but he also sees that we have talents that uh, other people can learn. And so it's kind of a double question. Uh, why do you think the Lord is trying to teach? What, what do you think the Lord is trying to teach you in your calling? And what gifts or talents do you have that the missionaries need in this area? That the missionaries in this area need access to? You remember the advice from Elder David A. Bednar, Sister Cornelius? He, we had a uh, Zoom meeting with him prior to entering the mission field, and his exact words were, Forget everything that you know and that is your safety net as far as what leadership you've done or how you've approached it, and enter the mission field with a fresh plate and allow the Holy Ghost to direct you. So what we have learned is is to exercise faith. Our spiritual talents hopefully manifest themselves but we've we've taken courage to to follow the admonition of, of Elder David A. Bednar, and that is is to not lean into what we've done in the past, and to allow the mission field and the circumstances to mold us now. And uh, so, as we entered the MTC with the First Presidency in the Quorum of the Twelve, and we received instruction from them. And we continue to receive instructions from others. We just we just listen and navigate those waters so that there's no predisposition. And it's been powerful. It's been really powerful to to allow that to set set that aside. Frankly, it takes a lot of courage, you know, because I could I could lean into your bishop. Yeah, Bishop, by the uh, 10, 10 or 11 years I've so- served in state presidencies and three other bishoprics, I, I could throw it all in there, but we're asked not to. And So it's kind of like heavenly, it's an opportunity for Heavenly Father to teach you some new talents and skills that you, he needs you to have for this area that maybe you've never tapped into. Exactly. That's kind of what you're telling us. Exactly. And they tell us in the M- MTC that... A missionary isn't called to the area. They're called specifically to you. There's something that you need to help them with. It's more people-oriented than it is location. Location. So it's either to us, to them, them, to you, in your wards and in your units. 
And we've seen that happen. Uh, we could tell you several stories where we've witnessed the pairing up of companionships in certain wards in certain areas and, and, and how, how things have lined up. And you're like, well, you can either say, wow, that's coincidental, or you can say, oh, the Lord is in charge. And I choose to say the Lord's in charge. That's an incredible thought. I, we could talk more about this later in the podcast if we like to, but the idea of being matched up to a specific mission president, I I could truly attest to that, just my personal experience as a missionary. The role you have as a mission president, as a mentor of, of men and women, is incredible. And and. There is a unique relationship you have with each individual missionary, not only as, you know, somebody who teaches them how to mission, quote unquote, but as somebody who teaches them about life. It's a pivotal time for a lot of people where they're learning to be an adult, learning to be independent, trying to get ready for college, marriage, having a job, and you play a pivotal role in, in helping develop those people. I, I will tell you that. There is one predisposition I've not got rid of, and that is is my personal feeling is is that a mission is pure selfishness on part of the missionary, meaning that they're the ones that are going to go through the greatest amount of change. It'll bless their lives in many ways through the eternities. And so if they are willing to commit themselves to come out and serve, but the only way it happens is they've got to get out and serve others. Mm -hmm. As they serve others, they change in direct comparison to those that they're teaching and influencing. So the more that they go out and teach, edify, encourage, and testify to, as those individuals change, the missionary changes proportionally. You think about it, as I said, I came out of the logging industry. I came off a ranch, a dairy, out of all things. I hated the dairy. I hate, <laughs> I hate milk cows. I remember telling Elder Anderson when he was interviewing Sister Cornelius and I, and I said, Elder Anderson, I grew up on a dairy. I was in the logging industry, and I've been in the tire automotive space for 32 years. I swear sometimes. <laughs> and he said, uh, well, President Cornelius, he said, um, I grew up on a dairy in Chubbuck, Idaho also. He did. And he said, I don't swear, so knock it off. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, so that's kind of funny. I was just uh, talking to my wife. I guess we have some uh, uh, correspondence with a, uh, um, a, a, uh, some family friends and their son just went on the mission. Or yeah, I think he just left the MTC to Peru. And he was reporting that, you know, in the MTC that he was hearing some languages that, you know, he shouldn't, you know, shouldn't be there and stuff. But, and like you said, you know, by the time they come out in the field, does that pretty much get like just wiped out? I mean, these, these missionaries get kind of reshaped? No, no. And every missionary comes at a different level of understanding. And this is what, as a culture and a church is, Wherever we're at, we need to be cautious that we don't look at those around about us and assume that they've had the experiences that we've had that have helped elevate us. Mm -hmm. and, and if we don't watch it, we can become very condescending. Uh, we need to 
one's capacity to fully participate in the gospel of Jesus Christ at any level is directly correlated to their testimony of the doctrines and principles which they understand. So if somebody has a problem with slang or language that's not becoming of a member of the church, it's not because they choose it, it's because they don't understand why they need to get rid of it. And so as a missionary develops in the mission field, they'll, it was hard for me. It, the good news is, is there's two swear words in Australia that's just like, oh, shucks and darn in the United States, and that was damn and hell. And you could use those from the pulpit, good or bad. You know, they didn't leave till I married Sister Cornelius, and then I thought, man, we got to do this a little bit more here. But I was a poor money manager before my mission. My mission taught me some significant money management skills. I was terrified to publicly speak. I'm not anymore as long as the Holy Ghost is present. I had a hard time communicating with people without being a little rough. That left my ability to just get along with a large group of people increased. Uh, my ability to understand and read the scriptures expanded significantly. So, you know, that mission experience. And so as a missionary comes out, we wherever they're at is where the Lord said they're ready. Okay. And you cannot compare one to the next. That's not fair to them, and that's not how the Lord greets us. Say the Lord meets you where you're at. It sounds like as a mission president, that's exactly how you're meeting your missionaries. That's how you met yourself, right? You, what would you say? You were less engaged in the church and then went through the motions, but then still chose to go on a mission and learn so much. So it's almost like I hear you saying, I don't need you to be perfect to go and be a missionary. I'll meet you where you're at as your president. I'm going to help you grow here. I don't need you to be totally this perfect young man or young woman to come serve. I'm going to meet you exactly where you're at and help you. And I, I, I think that's what I'm getting from you. That's what I feel from everything you've been so saying. So true. Is that you're really just meeting these young men and women where they're at, and you want to help them grow, which is awesome. And I, I love that question, Evie, so thank you for that. It, what I'm getting to is, you know, when you come into a new calling, you know, we could apply this to ourselves too. I, I'm sure we're going to bring in our own skills and talents, but, you know, part of the sustaining that the members do is they're supporting us in a growth process and not necessarily because we're the most qualified. So I, I, I love that thought and I'll try to take that approach. My next calling which hopefully is a nursery leader. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, that's, and you could do a whole podcast on that. And that is, what does it mean to sustain? And yeah. I think I think that's such a huge misconception. You know, I tell the story, and I've told the missionaries this. I, we were in Hawaii, and we heard a, someone being released, and the exact words were, all those that think Sister Talofa did a good job, raise your hand. And I thought, What? Did I just hear that right? And then they went to sustain the new individual for it. And they said, all those that think sister so-and-so will do a good job, raise your hand. And and I just <laughs> took note. I'm like, you know, that's what some of the saints think sustaining is all about. And it really has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with community or, you know, support one with another and holding each other up in spite of our weaknesses and shortcomings. And I've got a whole list of them. 
Uh, Corinne, what did you want to ask about? Well, can I do something really fun first and then ask my serious question? Yeah. We, okay. Yeah, let's do it. So you mentioned Chubbuck, Idaho. I actually grew up in Chubbuck and Pocatello. And I haven't lived there for 20 years now, though. It seems so crazy. But I, I have a couple of questions to see if you're true Idahoans. So they're quick and easy, okay? <laughs> Crick or creek? Creek. Creek. Okay. Some Idahoans are crick. <laughs> lava hot springs or lava hot springs? Lava hot springs. <laughs> Did you hear that? Lava. I'm talking yeah. about lava hot springs, it's lava, friends. Okay, one more. Fry sauce or no fry sauce? And if it is fry sauce, what's your favorite kind? Who gives the favorite? Fry sauce? Oh, Artie circled us the best oh, fries. Oh, yeah, true. <laughs> oh, yep. True. Yeah. Yeah. right here. <laughs> okay. Um, See, I wasn't going to, I thought you were going to get into who invented fry sauce because there's that. It's, it's Arctic U Circle. It's Utah gonna, versus just, Idaho no, debate. Uh, it's Arctic Circle. It's Ar See, she's yeah, a true Idahoan. A true I miss, East Idahoan. I, so I went to school in Rexburg. I miss Arctic Circle. Oh, and now Newport. there is that one. In Newport in, yeah. on the coast. Are you serious? There is. Yes. Mm -hmm. Wow. You still go worth, get your Lime Ricky. That might be worth a trip. Yeah, the actually. Lime Rickies are the best from <laughs> there. Circle was my first job. Um, I think there's one in Sisters. <laughs> is there one in Sisters? I thought so. Oh, I've never looked in Sisters. Yeah. I know there's one in Newport. Okay, serious question, though. Um, so we just had stick conference where, excuse me if I mispronounce his name, but Bishop Cousset. Is that correct? Was uh, here. That was pretty close. And yeah. I don't speak French. Um, anyways, he had talked about when he was called, and his thoughts were when he and his wife were called, that his wife immediately said, yes, we can do this. And his immediate thought was, oh, I'm not going to be able to take my grand piano. What were your first thoughts when they called and asked you to come and be mission presidents, both of you? Um, and it's okay to be honest. So I think I cried the whole time scared to death which leads to another i'd never left rexburg so born and raised there and i always thought i'd take care of my parents and we lived across the street from my parents and i i 10 o'clock at night if my dad's dish tv wasn't working i had to run across and make sure he had the news so i was just like really nervous and to leave and leave them. They're both aging. And um, I live close to a brother that has had some health issues. And so just was like, oh, no, that <laughs> I've got to leave here. So I was super nervous about it. Yeah. But then I'm not a big public speaker either. So I'm great behind the scenes. I could feed any missionary anything but and love them. But I don't love speaking. So, so it's your first time leaving. So far, what do you think of the Pacific Northwest? It's beautiful, really. It is. It's gorgeous. Like we we live in the car. If we're not at the mission home or the mission office, we're in the car, and it's beautiful. It really is. They couldn't ask for a better mission. I mean, there's several reasons, but we are both care caregivers to our parents. When we finished our interview with Elder Anderson of the Quorum of the Twelve, even though the formal invitation, Elder Anderson had told us that he was submitting our name to President Nelson for consideration of being mission presidents in the 2023 year. So we kind of had a heads up that that was coming. And I was nervous, 
about how do I broach this to my mother whose heart's at 30% capacity. My dad's in the early stages of dementia. And mm-hmm. we just had moved them to Rexburg, Idaho a year ago. Mm-hmm. Remodeled brand new, a whole new apartment for them so that it could care for them to do everything. And all of a sudden, you know, 14, 15 months later, we were leaving town. And I, I just felt, how am I going to tell my mom? So one day she said, uh, hey, I want to have some time with you, Chris. And I said, oh, okay. So one day I had to run to our store in Blackfoot, Idaho, and said, Mom, why don't you ride with me? So we got in the car, and she she's over, you know, different stuff in the family. She wanted to talk about my roles. I was the executor of the estate and over all the finances and everything. And she said, uh, now I want to talk to you about something that's been on my mind for two weeks. And I said, what's that? She said, um, I keep getting this impression to tell you that if you or Rhonda, you and Rhonda get called to go on a mission, I need to tell you right now, I want you to go rather than stay home and take care of us. And she said, uh, I would rather have my son on a mission doing what he's supposed to be doing than staying here and losing out on those opportunities, taking care of me. And it was interesting. She said, I'm going to die whether you're here or you're gone. She said, it doesn't matter. She says, but I see so many couples at your age that should be on missions, but don't go because they're worried about family. Mm-hmm. She says, don't you worry about me. And, you know, we were worried a little bit about our business, but our, our sons and the family around about us, they do well. And so it comes down to just trusting you think I we don't have butterflies? No, we we've got butterflies all the time. But we don't have what we don't have is we don't have fear. There is no fear. I have none. Most of the days I don't know how it's gonna end, but I don't fear it. I think that's so profound because uh, my mom was saying in state conference, you should worry about the blessings that uh your family will miss if you don't accept the calling over worries of what you'll have to sacrifice uh, with accepting the calling. And so I just want to ask, what lessons have you seen in your guys' lives or your family's lives with accepting this calling? So I have a brother that through the years, we've always known he's had some health issues. And um, last December, right after we had received our call to come to the Oregon Eugene Mission, he went into liver failure. And um, so he needed a new liver. They like to take it as a live donor instead of someone who's passed away, passed a, a deceased one. But um, so his wife, he kind of reached out to the family and said, "Can anybody help with this?" And you know, I have a couple of siblings that have lost, had their gallbladder taken out, so they were off immediately off the transplant list um, to even be considered and. It was pretty much down to me, and um, the president looks at me and he says, "You can't, you can't go on that. You're going on a mission. You don't have time for that." And um, I just, I turned to him and I said, "If the Lord wants me in Eugene, He'll find a way f- to make this happen." Because I was the perfect blood type for him. I was, um, so I filled out my papers anyway. I just said, "Let's just see where it goes," and. We'll- We'll work around it when it gets here. And then I got the impression 
I needed to put it out to our children. Um, it was really important that I that they see if they could help. And um, so I put it out to them. And our sons, none of them knew their blood type. <laughs> They're all like, we don't know where our blood types are. A couple of them came back, finally figured theirs out, and um, came back with they weren't the right blood type, you know. They weren't my blood type. They followed more of the presidents, and he's not even close. And so he, um, a couple of the da- two daughter-in-laws decided to re- put their names in. And um, our second son, his wife, is um, a marathon runner. She loves running. She just... Her family all does it. She can have a baby, and as soon as the doctor clears her, she's out running. And uh, she said, I I just got this impression. I need to put my papers in for that. And she said, the minute I filled it out, I, the spirit just told me, you're his perfect match, and you're going to donate your two-thirds of your liver to him. She just kind of kept it to herself. She didn't. She never said anything. She just progressed along the path that we kind of were like, "Wow, she is really like looking good." The day of their youngest, she turned one. Um, University of Utah called him and said, "You're his perfect match. Can we move ahead?" And she says, "Yes, immediately, because you're going to throw me off on having any more children." She's like, "Yeah, I want to do it," and so. On August 28th, she gave two-thirds of her liver to him. And the doctors were like, it is absolutely a perfect, perfect match. We have never seen one so perfect as hers for him. And they both have progressed really well on it. So four weeks uh, tomorrow is when she entered the hospital for that surgery. And within the first four weeks, your liver will recover 70 to 80%. And she's well on track, and it's functioning very well on him. And so... And she came home way before they told her, you'll spend three weeks in Utah. And she's like, oh, I got four little kids. (laughs) And she made it home in 10 days. Yeah. So they have four kids, seven to a one-year-old. So an elder... Bednar, and it's, these are sacred and special times, but I'll just share it with you. He promised us that we would be okay and our children would be okay. Mm-hmm. Revelation and I think the power of taking care of your body. Yes. He was mm-hmm. in such good health, too, that that I'm sure helped her recover and help through it all. So well, the thanks whole, for sharing those. Yeah. The whole family kicked in. It's been it's been a miracle for the community. He's a, you know, he's a not optometrist. He's a doctor in the community, very well known, very well respected. And it's just, you know, it's, she, you know, every sometime somewhere in our life, every one of us is going to become a savior to somebody. Yeah. She, um, the sweetest thing is, is she left the hospital a few days before him and she went into his room and they just got him up to walk and she leaned over to it or she went up and gave him a hug and as she whispered in his ear, is there anything else I can, if there's anything else I can do for you, will you please let me know? And you said back, you're like, you just give me, you know, part of your liver so that I could live a lot better life than what he's had. 
How's that for a miracle? There's been others. <laughs> yeah. That's the big one that's on the front of our mind right now. Yes. So, well, thank you. Thank you so much. Oh, I'm glad we got into that as well. Uh, Chuck, we wanted to go to you for a minute here. What what questions did you have for, for these two? Okay. Back to the missionaries. And it's whether you feel like you are, or, or not feel like, maybe you are, but the... Um, coming to them as like a bishop or as a parent? And then um, how much percentage of your time is devoted to their well-being? Well, Sister Cornelius, you answer the time, and then I'll tell them the roles that we fill. Oh. How many? How 24 many? hours a day, seven days a week. <laughs> <laughs> they can reach us at any time. We, we were told when we left um, the MTC, you will always, we want you to be there um, more than a like a probably like a mentor, but for the rest of their lives, we we want them in full contact with you at all times, like that they can know that they're if they're struggling or they need just a lift or we share just a happy moment with you, they can reach out to a to us at any time. So. Elder Anderson, when he interviewed us, he said that morning that uh, President Ballard had made the comment, he says, we need far more parents as mission leaders and less grandparents. And what I took from that is the ability to, to, to be a parent, but also to increase the expectations, to push them just a little bit in a, in, in a spiritual kind manner, but push nonetheless you know, yeah. encourage. That is my DNA is to increase expectations only because A, they can do it and B, if if I didn't expect it out of them, then they would be disappointed in themselves in the future. And so our, our time commitment is all, I think, I think there's only been two times in the last 90 days where I'm not dressed like I am in front of you with a suit and tie on. And one was a half a day and the other one was just because my son brought my parents over in an RV and I spent the day with them. And I broke away and, and I was a son that day. But my phone was still on doing what I needed to do. But uh, my mission president was the perfect model. He died four years ago now. His son is Elder Marcus B. Nash, who's the executive director of the missionary department. And uh, six weeks before we came out, Elder Marcus B. Nash called us. He wanted to talk to us. And I thought, oh, no, they're changing our assignment to Africa. Nothing against <laughs> Africa, but we were stressed out. And when he called and he said, Brother Chris, because his father was my father. He said, uh, will you promise me that you'll do for these missionaries what my father did for you? And the answer is absolutely. So for 30 years, if my back was against the wall and I needed help, he was there. So to these dear missionaries, I tell them, I'm, when I work with them, when I talk with them, when we interview together, I said, I'm not looking at you next week. I'm not looking at you next month. I said, I'm looking at you 15 years from now. When you're a father or a mother and you're sitting there with your children around about you, I'm, we're working towards making sure that you're still engaged and that you're staying true to the covenants that you made in the temple. With that, 
and the expectations that missionaries are assigned to areas that may be good for their growth, as well as you being assigned to an area where you'll be grown as well, since you have to forget your past assignments as, you know, uh, whatever leadership roles you've had. When a missionary comes to you green, according to how they would come to you, not to, not to another mission president, but to you guys, what would help them, you know, get off on the right foot? Coming fresh from the MTC, they're coming to you specifically, you as, as you know, you, you, you have your mentorship uh, of your mission president, you know how you want to do with them. What would you expect them to be, to be prepared for when they get to you, your doorstep? I, I'm just going to say the word become. Become. Just become. And sometimes, you know, I, I think there's a lot of first-time mothers out there that uh, go in and give birth to their first child thinking they're a mom. And within the first week, they recognize, uh, I, I didn't call that one right. And it's all of a sudden on your front doorstep. But as you go through the motions, it then becomes genuine. And then it becomes, you know, within a few months, you, wouldn't, you couldn't tear them from their arms. Mm -hmm. And they would, they, would, they would die in the fight. And that's what our missionaries do. They come out at first, they have the name tag on, they, they have a desire that brought them there, but they still don't know what there is. But that doesn't happen until they get out on the streets and start talking to people, and then they start to see these individuals as God sees them. I don't think they also have to be obedient. Mm -hmm. I think they have to come with the, I want to really try to be obedient so I can have the Holy Ghost with me. You know, I think sometimes they think, oh, I, I don't have to quite be obedient, but they'll see more blessings if they are more obedient. That's where the power comes. That's where the ability to, when they have a hard day, it's, it's not quite as hard if you're strengthened by the Holy Ghost that heals you. So if you were to give advice, because you brought the point, and become a new parent, you're like, oh, it's all sudden here, now you got to figure it out. But as a parent, we're also learning how to prepare our sons and daughters so that they might choose to go on a mission. What would you say to parents? These are some things to think about. These are things you can do to help prepare your youth that they might choose to come and be on a mission so that they are to that point where they'll become and be obedient. We have thoughts for Well, I think I'm not going to circumvent a prophet of God that has said, gone are the days that uh, we we need to be, each one of us needs to have a personal relationship with the Holy Ghost that will guide us on a daily basis. And without that, your process is is damned. It, it, it just, it, you can't fake it. And uh, so as mothers and fathers, we need to encourage our children to find out what is their what is their relationship with the Holy Ghost? How do we identify it? We need to talk more about this is how I feel it. This is how it works for me. And I don't understand why we don't have a culture of being more open about mm. how our personal relationship with the Holy Ghost takes place. Mine is different than Sister Cornelius's. They're two distinct different patterns. You know, uh, mine's more of an uneasiness. In hers, she feels promptings. 
mind if I'm going down the wrong way or turned the wrong direction or headed. I just get uneasy. And so so it's we're, we're too different, but I respect her receiving it. She respects me, and we talk about it quite often. Glad we're talking about that again because that came up, I think, in our last episode, actually, is that the Spirit is something that is so beyond us that we don't, as mortal men and women, we don't fully understand how to describe it. And I, I think I even referenced back to the show, The Chosen, where Jesus, you know, he compares it to the wind, something that we feel but we don't understand or know how to describe. And I feel like in, in our church speak, sometimes we get in this habit of describing the Spirit as some grandiose thing where, you know, we hear a voice and in Unfortunately, I think especially to a lot of our young people, we convey that if they don't have that, then they don't feel the Spirit when they're really feeling it all the time. And I think our youth feel it more than they think. Watching some of the youth, I work with the youth in our ward, and I have friends who are seminary teachers here and listening to their stories and then seeing the youth in my ward. I think our youth are feeling it, but like you said, we need to have more of a culture of pointing it out that there's different ways we need to help them understand. I love that you said that. It's something I need to do better with my own children is like, make sure they understand that. So that's actually the spirit, you know, what you're thinking. Because I think that you see them or even like we can see this young lady right here and her questions are so powerful. She has the spirit and you just need to make sure that they recognize that's the spirit, you know, and do we as parents, like you said, do I recognize the spirit so I can help them? So I love that. I also think I also think the new preach my gospel if the families will study that together will help so much. It's a it's a guide for missionary work which is a a covenant for each one of us. It's everybody needs to be involved in that and if we're studying it together as a family uh when that missionary hits the MTC in the mission field it's not something foreign it's common. I wanted to segue into something totally different. I don't know why. I feel like I'm always the person that asks this type of question. But, you know, I, I think we can all relate if we've been in leadership roles. There can be a lot of sense of duty to invest all of your time into whatever calling you have. Um, and then you're working for God, but God isn't necessarily working in you. And I, I think to really have God work within you, we we have to maintain a relationship with our spouse, uh, constantly trying to win each other and love each other every day. But it can be hard when you have a demanding calling. I just, I was curious, as you've accepted this new calling, how do you maintain that relationship with each other and with your family that's back at home? Sister Cornelius and I have worked together for 34 years. We, we've had a family-owned business, so it's A plus B. It's always been A plus B. It's just the uh, what we're doing has changed. You know, yesterday we got in the car to head down to a state conference, and when I got in the car after about 10 minutes, she goes, okay, what's on your mind? Something's, something's weighing down on you heavily. And, and we were able to talk about it. You know, she knew. She knows. She always knows, and and I know from her. So our relationship has been it's strong, you know. And and if if someone said you had to go do this without her, I'd <laughs> no way, no way. You know, she 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 says she doesn't like to speak, and she's right, <laughs> she doesn't. But she speaks to me all the time, 
and she communicates and she gives me observations. When we were, when I was a BYU Idaho bishop, I'd sit up there in front of our students and in the ward and I'd look at them and just watch them when they came in, watching their faces. And Sister Cornelius would be on the second to the last row all the time. And after sacrament meeting, I'd have my notes and she'd walk up and hand me hers. And I'd read her notes and her observations were always far more powerful than mine. I'm like, and she's looking at the back of their heads. And I was looking right in their eyeballs. And so so you have to uh you have to recognize that the divine uh purpose of of man versus woman, when they're combined together, become powerful. But they have to combine. Yep. And you have to respect she's she's a mission leader with me. And her insight is powerful. Yeah, I, I like that. And I, I think there's a lot that can be learned from that. It, for one, vulnerability, I, being willing to share that part of yourself with somebody else can be hard because leadership callings, it's its not all smooth roads. There's going to be moments where, you know, I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but for me, I'll just, as the subject here for a second, but, you know, there's days where it's like, it's hard to be a bishop and, and, and there's a fleeting moment where I'm like, I don't want to do this right now. And and being able to be vulnerable and share that with somebody and also being willing and understanding that that person is going to share things with you that are going to strengthen you and help you to be a better leader, I, I think is so important. So thank you. I, I think that's really helpful. I think you also have to be open to accept their, um, like, hey, there's, I see this, you know, instead of, it's my calling, I've got this all under control. When he was called as a bishop, he had a wonderful executive secretary that he went in with, and he was amazing for for a good year with us. And um, it came time he graduated, and he it's time for him to have a new executive secretary. And he struggled. <laughs> he went a couple weeks. One week, I finally said, "I really, I really think you should call this one as your executive secretary." And he's like. I, I'll tell you what I said, and I didn't say it out loud. In my mind, I thought, who's the bishop, me or you? <laughs> and, go ahead. And I was just like, I I think he'd be really good for you. And he's just like, uh, yeah, and kind of just didn't say much. And, and then so I was like, okay, whatever. And he went another week floundering. Without an executive secretary, and finally, I'm like, "Have you found your executive secretary?" And he's like, "No." Like I told you, who I think it, sh I think it is, and so I submitted, <laughs> asked the Lord, sent it in, and and later on, she didn't say it, but I thought, "Who knows me better than she does?" And so she knew the attributes and the talents that individual needed to have in order to serve in that capacity with me, because that's what she knew, and she did. And to this day, we're near and dear friends, and they were phenomenal. In fact, when I went in to another state presidency, he came with us. Yep. I, love that. I love that too, and I think there's a way of doing that without superseding you know, your authority and, and whatever calling you're in. I would say the same thing if Sister Cornelius is serving as a young women's president. You know, there's a way that you can support her in that without undermining her, you know? 
Yeah, you just got to get rid of the logger side, and the, you know, it's it's. And I agree with you wholeheartedly. I just need to become better at it, and that's what we're learning out here. Is because when you talk about, you say there's times when you go, man, I just don't want to be the bishop. Well, I go through that every day, about fifteen minutes to an hour. <laughs> you know, they're, they're just every day has an up and it has a down and then an up and a down, and without her to keep balance. Uh, we would be in trouble. <laughs> Do, can I ask one more question yeah. then before you close? Of course. Let's keep going. Um, I wasn't sure where you were going, so I wanted to make sure. So in our ward right now, we have four sister missionaries, which are lovely. And I don't know if Sister Eastman told you, but she actually lived in Pocatello, too. She was born there. Oh, um, no. She didn't. Yeah. Her dad played at ISU. He was a quarterback, she was telling us. So... I saw that you were also a bangle. Yes. There you go. Go bangles. Go bangles, right? Yeah. Um, anyways, um, I was talking with them because for the longest time, the sister missionaries in our ward have been social media missionaries. And I have been given a assign- an assignment, excuse me, through the stake to be the social media representative, which I still don't really know what that means, but I was supposed to work with them. So anyways, at dinner the other night, they told me that right now, all of that social media part of their mission is changing. Um, and I would love if you could tell us what what you saw good in it and where you see maybe it's going. Why is it changing? What are the, the things you're seeing or what's happening there? That's a great question. So what has changed is, is that our mission used to do a lot of content creation, uh, placement, uh, themes, and it would go through the state presidents and even to our bishops that were familiar with it. The churches came in and uh, two months ago or a month and a half ago, uh, they came in and said uh, they have done it since the beginning of COVID. They know the placement. They know what works in our demographic now. And so the 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 main uh, missionary department of the church is now doing the placement of the ads, the content, the videos. And so what they've asked us to do is focus on the proselyting side of it, and they'll take care of the content creation. So what does that mean? Because they were creating the content. So now they're going to be proselyting and then hopefully stories from their proselyting they share? Or they, will they be doing any more content creation at all? No, the, the only content that, we, that we've been encouraged to share is to encourage uh, the members of the various wards and stakes to share theirs. Oh, okay. And then attach theirs to, there's three, uh, there's the North website, there's the South website, and then our Spanish communities. And so if you can attach it so it goes through there, that's what they're suggesting. Now, are we done with social media? The answer is no. But the approach is what we're, we're, we've been asked to and what we're finding is lining up more with where we're headed now is ministering as the Savior Jesus Christ did, and that's one by one. So imagine now I come into your home as a missionary and I share with you a powerful message about God being our Father, Jesus to Christ, Peter, and then at the end, I turn to you and say, okay, everybody pulled their phone out, right? Now look at all your contacts, and under the influence of the Holy Ghost, I want you to ask between you and him 
I want you to decide who in your contacts contacts would be most impacted by a spiritual spiritual message shared with them right now. And so the church has made hundreds of small videos, 30 seconds to three minutes, right? Imagine having a dear friend that just lost a mother or a grandmother or some family member, and they're, and they're not knowing what to do. And at this juncture, you, you pull out your phone, you copy the link of the video where it talks about my plan or what happens once we pass away and our beliefs, and you send this video to them about the plan of salvation, and underneath it you put, Susie, you and I talked the other day at school, and you told me about your grandmother passing away, and you were telling me how hard that was. I just want you to know what I believe, and I hope this gives you hope, and I'm here to answer any questions you have for me. And you send it. It's one by one. It's you versus them. And what's going to happen is I guarantee Susie's not going to send back, please don't send that junk to me. She's going to watch it. She's going to be touched by it. And whether she asks questions at that point or later on, she now knows. And so this gives our members an opportunity one by one to minister. Now, there's still going to be some in our wards and our stakes that have the courage to share messages to a broader audience, and, and they are effective, but the one by one is going to become powerful. So imagine in your own wards, if every week there's 100 people in your ward committing to every week to share a message with somebody. Mm -hmm. I mean, in all of our interactions through the week, there is somebody that would be lifted up by what we know. And we just need to think about it. We need to start including the Lord into it. And that's how you become the missionary. Those that are struggling with temptation, which is every single one of them, us, we are promised by engaging in missionary work, those temptations start to subside that the light of Christ comes stronger and we're able to overcome temptations, deal with life. And so this is where we're going. So in your role as a social media specialist in your ward, it is to garner, get our youth together, get the parents together, and let's just start sharing the messages. And here's my promise. As we do this in our area, our missionary work is going to quadruple. We've already seen this in other missions. It's going to happen here. Mm -hmm. There are people all around us that are yearning for answers, but they don't know what answer they're yearning for because they don't know what they're seeking for. But they are lost. And once we share with them that which makes us whole and gives us hope, they will be touched and have a greater desire to know more. And I, I love this space on this podcast, actually, for this, too, because something that's been happening in our stake more and more is we'll hear about a brother or sister that meets with a friend who has a problem or something or a question, and they'll say, well, we just did an interview with Brother Stockford, who talked about the same issue. Can I share that with you? And I, I, I don't know. It's so cool seeing that happen, and, and we're having more and more members um, share with people who aren't members of our church just stories that we've we've discussed here on this podcast. So I think that is one thing that I like about the podcast too is that 
Jason is interviewing people in the community. So it's easier if it's someone in my community say, oh, this is so-and-so. They're actually a dentist in our community. They just did this great podcast. It would probably be really interesting. But I also think what you're saying, yeah. it's less threatening. Um, I know for some people, we were asking them to help the missionaries come up with content, share their story, share their thing. And I think for some people, that was really out of their comfort zone. Yeah. And so it's hard for people sometimes. But to sound like you're saying, if I see this incredible message. I meet somebody that I think could use that and send it. That's less, I think, scary. It's yeah. You know what I mean? It's it's still out of your comfort zone for some to send that. But I think what you said made what I'm supposed to do a lot easier. Because for <laughs> years now, I have like, I don't really know what they want me to do in this assignment. But what you just said just gave me, whoa, okay, we can do that. And I think more people would be willing, like, oh, yeah, I saw this great thing. And it's easier to just shoot that in an yeah. email or a text or whatever. Well, their friends already know they're different. Yeah. We already stand out. We're a peculiar people. And uh, that's the wonderful nature of it. And here's the promise. When they watch it, it'll resonate with them. Yeah. Now, whether they ask for more might not be at that time, but they will in the future. And when that takes place, you automatically now have a friend with someone of our faith that's already married up. You don't have to go looking because it was already your friend that answered. It becomes a natural relationship. It makes it connection. <laughs> <laughs> and that's but the way I think well, it also <laughs> connects. It's a great way to connect. Like you said, they may not ask further questions. They may not want to meet with our missionaries because you sent that, but I do think it makes that connection of like, this is what I believe. And a lot of times they might believe something very similar, which I've been learning as I've been meeting others from other religions and other faiths. As we talk, we, we actually believe a lot of the same things. And I think it bridges that gap of maybe they don't know what we believe, but now here's a little snippet. And now we've connected. Maybe they won't convert to our church or join us, but They'll understand this more. And this was a message I got after I rolled this out with the missionaries in their mission leadership conference three hours later. President, we had two member messages today, and in both we did the sharing the gospel message that we talked about mission leadership conference. We found three people to teach, and a member brought one of her good friends to Relief Society activity tonight. Her friend asked us question as a super interested. The member told us after she had been praying for this for a while, the promise you shared with us yesterday is real. It's a testimony builder that you do receive revelation for the mission and hold the keys of the missionaries. But the point is, is one-on-one, one-on-one. -on -one. Mm -hmm. And I think if the members, uh, just like uh, Sister Cornelius talked about her brother and our daughter who donated her liver, if we looked at what we possess as be, being eternal life saving, which it is, with the same urgency that Emily sought as Sister Cornelius's brother Bryce, if we sought through those eyes and truly believed that what we had was eternal life saving and it was consequential in that, then we would find it a burden to go to bed at night not having shared that a few times during the day. That's so great. Evie, did you have other questions that you wanted to get into? The one thing I would want to end with is, what is your invitation to the youth? What is something that you're seeing that 
would be very beneficial for the youth to expand or grow in now, like as they prepare for their missions or their next step in life after high school. We have an interesting situation going on just by nature of our culture. You look at me and you say, oh, he's an old man. And I am. I'm a lot older than you. But when I look at you, I see an old wise spirit. I see someone that was on the front lines in the battle of heaven. I see one of the captains. And that's the only thing it could be because you've come here at the earth at a time where there is more division than there ever has been. There's more wickedness. There's more diverse ways to just do things that are evil. But yet here you're sitting here with us in a podcast asking us questions about things that are holy and pure. The, the answer is, is you are amazing. Your power to influence and your power to share the gospel of Jesus Christ is at a level that I have never witnessed in my entire life. I tell the missionaries now, they come out into the field at the same level that I returned home. And I don't say that just to be slap happy or anything like that. I mm -hmm. say that with conviction. You are powerful in your influence, and the spirit that possesses your body is old and wise and very sensitive. And it's an honor to serve with the missionaries. So I'd say have faith, have courage, and let's go do what the Lord has us to do, and let's enjoy the relationship that we have. It just makes me think from a bishop's perspective, you know, I, I think we're tempted in leadership always to, you know, transfer our skills. How do we make you more like me? And what I've been learning over the past few years is I don't need to do that. I, I need to remind them who they are. And they're going to go and they're going to lead and do things that are more amazing, more spectacular, more helpful for gathering of Israel than we ever did in our generation. It makes me as a parent and as a young women's leader, because he's so right. Our youth right now are, are amazing. So it goes back to what you said as parents that we need to do is I need to make sure that I understand how the spirit is speaking to me so that I can be the parent that these kids need and that these youth need, because they are head and shoulders above where I ever was at their age. And I'm supposed to be the leader. <laughs> so that's where I need to make sure I'm hearing the Spirit so the Spirit can help me guide this tremendous youth. Because I think you're spot on that I see things in our youth that I'm like, oh, I never would have even thought of that at that age or been even doing something similar at that age. And they're just so, so above where I ever was that it's almost scary to parent and be their leader. I I want to be respectful of you guys this time. Thank you so much for coming out. It's been an amazing conversation. We had so many more questions. I feel like we could do another podcast for sure. I wanted to end with a question, a little bit of a modification of the question we usually end with. I wanted to know from both of you, how has serving a mission helped you to further develop your relationship with the Savior Jesus Christ? I think it has um, coming out. I've learned to rely more on the guiding influence of the Holy Ghost to help me just, you know, I work with the sisters and to um, feel maybe what they need or what they're struggling with. I think, um, I don't know, just 
praying to have the caustic companionship of the Holy Ghost like we talked about in this podcast is so important. I am so lucky. I get to read 120 to 130 missionary letters a week. And some of them, you know, talk about the struggle they're having this week. And uh, some don't say much. But then there is almost four to five pages. And I'm now copying and pasting. I pull the miracles out. And those miracles come through a relationship with the Savior, Jesus Christ. It's the only way it can happen. This is his work. You know, as I, as I see the healing of missionaries that have had burdens that they have carried for whatever, whether it's fear of talking to people, which is real, whether it's the fear of, inter, of, of dealing with a missionary companion that happens to be different, or let's use the word weird, uh, where, you know, it might even be their ability to adjust to a uh, bald mission president that's from Idaho. You know, whatever it is, Every one of us needs to lean into the Savior, Jesus Christ, to help us rise us above that, that trial or that, that bump in the road that we're trying to overcome. That's the only way we can do it. Every morning I wake up and every night I go to bed, I have to turn it all over to him. This is his work. I'm not that smart. I, I can mount tires all day long. I can work on cars. I can do a lot of things. But being a mission president for 90 days, it's all brand new. But if I turn it over to him, if I ask him, what is his will? What's his desire? What would he like? How would he like it to be done for me? And to feel those promptings come, and they come, is powerful. They come just all the time. Those impressions are there all the time. So this last transfer, and we're into another one, we had 20 missionaries that arrived. And I'm, I mean, I'm worried about this because that is a lot of disruption. We got 29 in two weeks. And I'm going through the board, I'm reading things, and I'm going, Heavenly Father, where, where? And I, I, as I spent, you know, a lot of hours on this, asking the Lord his will. And then finally, it came down. I finished one night, got up the next morning, went back in the room, stared at it, looked at it, and said, okay, am I calm? And I felt right. And so I pushed the bed. That took faith. Bam, there it goes. The new missionaries come in. Two of the missionaries put together are best friends from high school. Who knew that? Right? Two of the missionaries put together were second cousins. Who knew that? Another missionary got sent to an area where a mission couple had just returned from in his home ward in the Great Lakes State six, six weeks ago. And he was going in to open that area. So he has a relationship with them from his home ward. So he can say, who are you working with and where? And this just happens all the time. And so you can say, wow, that's coincidental. Or you can say, oh, my word, if this isn't the Lord's work, I don't know what is. And I choose to say this is the Lord's work. He's in charge. He's at the helm. This is his mission, and we're just, we just have an opportunity to be part of it. 
Thank you again for tuning in to this episode of the Connection Podcast. I think we're going to do a little bit of a mission theme for the next month. Wasn't how we planned it at first, but it's just the way things are going right now. So we're going to roll with it. Upcoming for the rest of the month, we are going to talk to Robert Salgado or Elder Salgado, who just returned from Peru. We're going to later be talking to Abram Gallup, who's returning from Japan. And then we're rounding the month off actually with a special episode where we're going to talk to my friend Tim Zakarian, who actually is not a member of our faith, but a very faithful person who is pastor and founder of Waypoint Church over in Springfield. So it should be a super interesting conversation with him as well. I'm really looking forward to it. We'll probably sprinkle in some more episodes as we come this month, but that's what we've got on the docket so far. Until next time, take care. Take care.